Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, because of you, because of you, we are called children of yours. Because of the precious blood of your son, Jesus, who died on the cross and who rose again from the dead, we can know you. We can make you known. We can walk with you and do life together with you. We don't have to be limited by what other people think of us or what other people say about us. Your opinion, your voice is the only thing that matters. Lord, we're more than conquerors because of you. We could do all things because of you. And nothing is impossible because of you. So, Lord, I pray that our, our time of worship has put a smile upon your face. And as we open up your word, I pray that you would open up our eyes and open up our ears to your truth. That the limitations that we have somehow put on ourselves along the way, that we would understand that we are more than because of you. God, I pray that we would go after the life that you have for us more than ever before. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. I'm also thankful for those of you who are watching us at home, on the stream, maybe on the treadmill. I don't know where you're at, but we're glad that you're a part of the Sagebrush family as well. We're very thankful for you. Uh, we love to see the family of Sagebrush be expanded and extended upon, and that's what happened in, in uh, last past weekend. We got a phone call Sunday morning that my daughter's water had broke, and so they went immediately to the hospital, and on Monday morning, this little guy was born. Uh, it's my first grandson, pretty excited about it. His name is Cade. Uh, he is named after his dad. He's the fourth in the family line. He comes in at 6 pounds, 13 ounces, 22 inches long. He's a lean, mean, fighting machine, I tell you what. He's already learning his math facts. It's just been a week, but he's already got multiplication down up to nine, so it's pretty impressive. He's a chip on. Off the old block, that's what he is, yeah. So we're excited to bring him into our family. And I want to say a big thank you for all of you who prayed for my daughter and also have been praying for my daughter, Cammie, who just underwent some back surgery. We really won't know the situation of how well the nerve surgery went until oh, the doctor said about a month or two months. But she's still home resting well, uh, taking her meds and, and doing quite well. And she feels your prayers and your words of encouragement, and, and they mean the world to her. I think that's a, an appropriate thing we talk about that because we're talking about adversity today. We're talking about overcoming things that other people try to put on us, try to make us feel like we are less than. See, I believe that there's something deep inside the human spirit, that when God's spirit gets a hold of us, that we can become overcomers, that we can become something beautiful, that we can become something great. Think about this. Bury him in the snows of Valley Forge and you get George Washington. Raise him in poverty and you get Abraham Lincoln. Stricken him with infantile paralysis and you get Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Label him as too stupid to learn and you get Thomas Edison. Deafen him and you get Ludwig van Beethoven. Call him dull and hopeless and flunk him in the sixth grade and you get Winston Churchill. And then my favorite one, tell him he's not imaginative enough. Tell him he's not creative. Tell him that his sketches are infantile and you get Walt Disney. Friends, adversity is the grindstone of our life, isn't it? 
And adversity will do one of two things for you. It'll rough off the rough edges around you, smooth those rough edges off, get you ready, prepared for what God has ahead for you. And for other people, adversity will defeat them. It will discourage them. It will make them believe that they are less than. It all has to do with your attitude towards it. Will your problems be your pitfalls or will your problems be the possibilities of God doing exceedingly more than anything you've ever dreamed or imagined? Will the obstacles in your life stop you from being all that God wants you to be? Or will the obstacles be opportunities for God to do something absolutely amazing with your life? Friends, we were born in adversity and we must rise to the occasion to become the people that God wants us to become. I read a story this past week about a girl named Wendy Stoker, one of my all-time heroes. Uh, Wendy worked really hard in high school. She got on the diving team for the University of Florida. She worked twice as hard as all the other students, got to be the second person on the team. She was absolutely a phenomenal diver. And while she was doing that at the University of Florida, she carried a full load of classes. She also enjoyed going bowling, and she was an avid water skier as well. But the thing that impressed me the most about Wendy is her ability to type. She can type 45 words a minute. Oh, did I fail to mention that Wendy was born without any arms? This girl overcame one obstacle after another after another. And it just makes you wonder, how many times did somebody say you can't do it? I wonder how many times she heard, you know, I don't see you in that role. I don't think you should attempt that. I think that might be too dangerous. for You know, after all, you've got a handicap here. I don't know if that's for you. And yet she rose above it, believing that God had greater things for her. She refused to settle in life. So here we are up to the next person we're inducting into God's hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to look at a guy by the name of David. Now, let me set this story up for you. Last couple of weeks, we've been talking about a period of time in Israel's history called the Judges. Remember, they were military men or women that God would raise up to go against the enemies of the day, against the Israelites. You had people like Samson, people like Gideon, people like Deborah. These were the Judges. That period last for 300 years. Well, guess what? The people wanted a king. They wanted to be like all the other nations. And it really wounded God that they wanted a king to rule over them. So God said, fine, if you want a king to rule over you, then I'll get you a king. And so God chose a man by the name of Saul. Now, Saul was a handsome guy. Uh, he was a head and shoulders, uh, taller than everybody else. He looked like he was going to be an incredible leader for the people of Israel. But here was the problem for Saul. He had a half-hearted heart towards God. He's what we call a picker and a chooser. He would pick the things he wanted to follow God with, and he would ignore the things that he didn't like. Whatever, whenever God told him to do something he didn't like, he just wouldn't do it. He didn't have wholeheartedness towards the Lord. Well, the Lord said, this isn't good. And so God rejected Saul as the king. And so God tells a prophet of his, a man by the name of Samuel, he says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse, and when you get to that house, you're going to see that I have anointed a new king over Israel. 
Now imagine rumors gotten out that Samuel's coming your way and that one of your boys, your Jesse, one of your boys is going to become the new king. I bet he swept. I bet he cleaned. I bet he got those boys making that place look spick and span, don't you think? And then when it was time when Samuel would come in, he'd walk past all of his sons. He placed every son up on the stage that he felt like had king qualities. Let's, let's look at the passage. 1 Samuel chapter 16, start with verse 6. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. It's like a beauty pageant, isn't it? Had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? Jesse had one more son, didn't he? You know the story. He had a son by the name of David, but he didn't see any king potential in David. So what's he do? He leaves David out in the fields. Why? Because he says, oh, David's no king. He's a ruddy kid. That's what he is. He's a decent-looking kid, but I tell you what, he's he's not the one. There's There's no potential in him. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything more devastating than when you find out that your mom or dad don't believe in you? When they don't see anything significant in your life, when they, when they say mean things to you to try to limit you to become less than than what God wants you to be. You see, it got really quiet in the room. And you know why it got quiet in the room? Because there's probably some of us in this room, probably some of us at home. That's exactly what happened to you. Your mom or your dad wounded you with their words. They compared you with a brother or a sister. They said that you were less than, that you'd never amount to anything, that your best simply wasn't good enough. We talked about this a few weeks ago, right? We talked about favoritism. We said, let's be careful that we're not showing favoritism from one child to another child. Let's believe in each of our kids. Let's hold each of our kids in high esteem. Let's build them up so they might see what God placed inside of them. Every one of our children is unique. Every one of our kids can do something great for the things of God and for the kingdom of God. But that wasn't the way Jesse was. Jesse finds out Samuel's coming. He lines up all of his boys, all of them except for one. The one that he felt like didn't have any king potential at all. And some of you understand exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, some of you are continue to walk in the wounds because you never could hear your mom or dad say that they loved you. You never could hear your mom or dad say, you know what, I'm really proud of you. You do that really well. I think you're going to be great. I think you're going to be highly successful one day. You never heard those words come out of your mom or your dad's lips. And even to this day, some of us, some of us, you're living in the shadow of that, aren't you? You're still trying to prove yourself. You're still trying to prove your worth because you still long to hear mom say it or dad say those words that you rarely got to hear, if ever. I'm proud of you. You are a success. And so what do we do? We work ourselves to the bone. We ignore our families. We're we're trying to somehow gain the, the acceptance that we never could get. And I know people, you ready for this? Their parents have already died. And they're still trying to live for the approval of a mom or a dad that wouldn't even give it to them on their deathbed. 
So if that's the lot that you had in life, if you had a cruddy mom or a cruddy dad, I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me very clearly. God believes in you. God believes in you. God knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God put gifts and talents and abilities inside of you. And he sees things in you that you don't even see in yourself. He believes that you could be something significant, that you could be something great, that you could be something difference-making. Oh, friend, listen to me. Let go of the baggage of whatever everybody else has said about you or done to you and fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, and run the race that he set before you with endurance. Friends, if we're going to overcome the limitations that other people put on us, the first thing is this. We have to see ourselves the way God sees us. And I said it last week, and I'm going to say it again. God doesn't just see who we are today, but God sees what we can become. God sees what your potential is, and God wants to help you rise up and realize that potential and see that potential actually become a reality. Well, the story continues. Jesse answered Samuel. He said, well, they're still the youngest, but he's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. Okay, here's, here's the question. Why did God choose David to be the next king over Israel? Because we know that Jesse didn't see anything kingly in him. So he's not taller than the brothers. He's not more muscular than the brothers. He's a good-looking kid, but he's not exceptionally good-looking. He's not exceptionally talented or gifted. Why choose him? Well, do you remember what God revealed to Samuel when he looked at Eliab? He said, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God cares more about your availability than he cares about your ability. Let me say that again because that was good. God cares more about your availability than he cares about your ability. See, what God's looking for is someone who wants to be used. God's looking for somebody whose heart is wholly devoted over to him. So, so we got to pause here for just a second. We got to ask ourselves a question. Is our heart wholly devoted to the Lord? Do, do you really... Do I really love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength? Or is somewhere along the way has something else begun to rival my relationship with God? And it could be something good, right? David just, he just loved God with every fiber of his being. Think, think about this from God's perspective. He's already anointed another king, a guy named Saul, and he was wishy-washy. He had one foot in, one foot out. He, he, he had a divided heart. And God said, this isn't going to work. This guy's not going to be obedient. This guy's not going to do the things I want him to do. So I'm going to choose David. Now, it's interesting that David wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, now was he? Later in his life, he will commit adultery. Later in his life, he'll be an accessory to murder. I mean, David, he, he got off track really bad. But one of the things we can always say about David is that his heart was always with the Lord. Even though he got sidetracked, because nobody's ever going to be perfect, he loved God. He wanted to please God. Sometimes he put that on a shelf, but for the most part, that's what he wanted. Even God said, there's a man after my own heart. 
When I think about David, I think of a guy who, who is zealous for the Lord. Now, that's, that's not a word that we use much anymore. But I came across this in a book, and I thought it was really good. This is a great definition of what it is to have zeal for God. This is what it says. Zeal is a burning desire to please God, to do his will, and to advance his glory in the world in every way possible. A zealous man is preeminently a man of one thing. He sees only one thing, cares about one thing, lives for one thing, swallowed up in one thing, and that one thing is to please God. Whether he lives or dies, has health or has sickness, whether he's rich or poor, pleases people or gives offense, whether he's thought wise or foolish, gets the blame or the praise, whether he receives honor or is given shame, he burns for one thing. And that one thing is to please God. It doesn't do it perfectly by any stretch of the imagination because none of us can do that. But that's the one thing at the end of the day, even when he blows it, he comes to God and says, oh, God, I'm so sorry I blew it. I just want to live for you. I just want to please you. You look, look at the Psalms that most of the Psalms are written by David and you think about the passion and the intensity that he has for his relationship with God. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 27, says, One thing I ask, this is David, one thing I ask, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord my God forever and ever and ever. That was the desire of David. Look what the Bible says here in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So, so let's just imagine that, that, that God is now searching, searching the earth, all right? searching the world. Now his eyes are coming through this auditorium, and his eyes are coming through your home, or wherever you're at watching this. He comes upon you. Does he find someone who's available to him? Does he find somebody who loves him with everything that they've got? Someone who's wholehearted, whose mission in life is to please God with everything that they say and everything that they do? If that's where you're at, friends, God will use you in a significant way. God will use your life to make an impact. And I don't care what anybody else says or anybody else thinks because the only opinion that matters is God's. Well, guess what? Jesse doesn't see anything kingly uh, about his son, David. And guess what? His brothers don't think much of him either. One day, David's dad says, hey, why don't you go check on your brothers who are fighting against the Philistines? And when David is there, he hears this loud mouth of a giant by the name of Goliath defying the armies of God and defying God himself. Let's look at it. This is 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 22. It says, David left his things in the keeper of supplies and ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out of the stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. And David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, what's going on here? Why is Eliab giving David such a hard time? Well, Eliab's embarrassed. And why is he embarrassed? Well, he's the oldest. 
He's the strongest. He's the most handsome. He's the first person that Samuel looked at when he had the line of all who was going to be the next king, right? So this is the guy that you would logically think is going to take on the giant. But Eliab doesn't want to be part of that giant. He's cowering in fear. He's scared to death. And then his youngest brother comes up and begins to ask different people, hey, what will be done? What's the king offering for the guy who shuts this loud mouth up? And Eliab is embarrassed because David is willing to do something that he's not willing to do. So what's he do? Tries to limit him. He says, what's the matter with you? Well, you should be back in the fields. You should be talking like this. You should be back in the fields with those few sheep. I know how conceited you are. I know who you really are, what's really going on. He's trying to keep him down. You ever have people in your life that try to keep you down? that dog you, that slam you, that say all kinds of evil things against you, and these are people that you respect, people that you admire, but you want to do something great for the Lord, and they say, oh, you can't do that. We've tried that before. It won't work. They just kind of push you down, push you down, push you down, push you down. I remember when I was uh, first starting off in, uh, in the work field. I was 16 years old, got a job working at Macy's on the dock, and while I was working at Macy's on the dock, I was trying to do my very best. My dad told me, you show up, you give your very best, you stay out of the drama, you keep your nose clean, and you get your job done. So that's what I did. I went in there, I had my task list, I started working through my task, and my boss was always impressed because I was the first one to get all my tasks done, and you know I did it with excellence. Well, guess what? The other guys I was working with didn't appreciate it. And they put it on me, and they said, what are you doing? You're making all of us look bad. Slow down. What are you doing? They're trying to limit me. They're trying to make me less than. Why? Because I'm showing them off. That's what's happening. And they don't want to rise to the occasion. They just want to coast. Now, let me ask you a question. Why are you listening to people who just want to coast in life? Why would you ever let somebody who's not doing anything with their life stop you from doing something with yours? I mean, consider the source. Who is the person that's saying these things to you? Are they overachievers? Are they uh, overcomers? Are they doing something great for the things of God and the kingdom of God? Because if they are, they're not going to put you down. They're going to build you up. They're going to say, follow me. But for those people who don't go after great things, who don't risk their lives, you know what they do when somebody else wants to do it? It kind of puts a spotlight upon them. They say, listen, I don't see you in that role. I don't think you should do that. I think it's too risky. You shouldn't go after that. It could be something stupid like losing weight. You say, what in the world are you talking about? I've got a friend of mine. He was overweight, so he lost a lot of weight. Lost it fast, lost it good. He looked excellent. Well, he had some golf buddies, and guess what? The golf buddies were large, and they didn't like the fact that he had lost weight. So every time Friday would come rolling around, it was time for them to go golfing. Guess what? The golf buddies would put it on him. They'd say, you're too skinny. You look like a wuss. What's the matter with you? You got cancer? What's the matter with you? You need to bulk up again. You need to get bigger. Why did they say those things to him? Because they had no desire to be healthy themselves, and he made them, in their minds, look bad. And so what they want him to do? Gain the weight back. And he did. Friends, who are you listening to? Who's trying to tell you that you're less than, that you'll never amount to anything? Consider the source because God has great dreams for you. God has great plans for your life. And that brings me to point number two. If you're going to overcome the limitations of others, you've got to listen to the only voice that matters. And the only voice that matters is the voice of God. 
And you've got to fine-tune your ears to the voice of God because there are plenty of critics out there. Plenty of people want to keep you down and make you believe that you're not going to accomplish anything great. Do not listen to them. Don't let anybody give you a less-than kind of life. Keep your ears in tune with the voice of God. Well, guess what? King Saul hears that there's somebody in the camp that's actually willing to take on this giant of a man by the name of Goliath. And he is so excited. So he calls David in, thinking he's going to see a mighty warrior. And in comes this shepherd boy. And Saul is discouraged. This is not the kid that he was hoping that was going to come and fight the giant. Look at what happens here. Saul takes one look at David and says, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you're a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Again, too many people listen to people with no vision and no drive and no passion. But David wasn't having any of that. See, David's father saw nothing more than a shepherd, and David's brother saw nothing more than a loser, and King Saul saw nothing more than a boy. But God saw a king. Make no mistake about it. God's still looking for someone, anyone, who still believes that God can do something significant in their life. At some point in time, you've got to get mad. And you've got to stop believing the lies that people are trying to tell you. And you've got to believe the truth of the word of God. That you are more than a conqueror because of Christ Jesus. That you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. That nothing is impossible with God. At some point in time, you've got to say enough is enough. And with a defiant faith, you've got to rise up and say, I am not what others say I am. I am what God says I am. I can't stand it to hear people say, I guess this is the way I'm always going to be. I mean, this is about as good as it's going to get. And they settle in their life. Years ago, my wife and I took the kids down a few blocks away from our house. There's a little pond that's there, and sometimes ducks will be out there. My wife would always bring breadcrumbs to feed the ducks. You know, you normally feed the ducks. You have the kids over here, and the ducks are over there, and you kind of throw the breadcrumbs over where the ducks are at. But my wife has a strange sense of humor, so she would throw the breadcrumbs at my kids' feet. And so the ducks would kind of waddle up there, and they would kind of peck around at the kids' feet, and the kids would scream, and they'd run around, and they would, well, actually not. So my wife just laughed and laughed and laughed. She just thought it was so funny. To this day, my middle daughter, Hannah, has a phobia of birds, and I think it started right there with the breadcrumbs, to be honest with you. Because on this particular day, she was peppering breadcrumbs, peppering them and peppering and peppering at all three of my kids. And they're running around. They're screaming. The ducks are having a great time. But Hannah's not. Hannah is scared to death for her life. And my wife just keeps peppering the breadcrumbs at her. And Hannah, I can see that she's about to panic. She's about to cry. So I scoop her up. And I think, that duck, you ain't going to catch my daughter right there. I'll tell you what. I grabbed a hold of her. I said, I got you. My wife starts peppering me with breadcrumbs. And I'm like, what in the world? Now the ducks are coming at me, and they're pecking around at my feet. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then there was this big duck, bigger duck than the other ducks. And he was more aggressive than the other ducks. He came closer and closer and closer, became more and more intimidating. And I hate to admit this, but I turned and I ran from the duck. Now, what in the world am I doing running from a duck? I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm six foot tall with my shoes on. And I weigh more than a duck. 
I remember turning around thinking, this is ridiculous. I'm scared to death of a duck. And so I said, okay, Jesus, we're going against the duck. And I headed back. You know what that duck did? He ran away. And I thought, you better run away. I will drop kick you in Jesus' name. I'll tell you that right now. Get away from me. How many of us are running away from a duck? You make so many excuses why you can't be significant, why you can't be something great, why you can't take a risk. It's as if your God is so small, so tiny that he can't accomplish anything great. You're running away from a duck. You used to have great dreams. When you got married, you said, we're going to have the best marriage ever. We're going to have the greatest marriage. We're going to show everybody else what marriage is all about. Somewhere along the way, you settled. Somewhere along the way, you stopped doing the hard work. You stopped showing up. You stopped putting the needs of the other person first. You stopped putting Jesus as the centerpiece of your relationship. You settled. Some of you, you think that the addiction that you've got is always going to be a part of your life. You're never going to be able to get away from the porn. Never going to get away from the pills. Never get away from the alcohol. You just, this is the cycle that you're in. No matter what you do, no matter what, you're just kind of stuck. Some of you, you, you once believed that God could do something significant with your life. And you, you really wanted to be a part of something significant. But somewhere along the way, you kind of looked around and said, well, nobody else is really that excited about the things of God. So I don't want to be a Jesus freak. I don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. And so along the way, you just kind of, kind of settled, didn't you? For some of us, you had these dreams of who you were going to marry. And you took the pastor's advice one day, and you wrote down all the things that you're looking for in a person you want to spend the rest of your life with. But now you're in your upper 20s, your lower, mid-30s, and nobody has shown up on your radar that meets that criteria and so what, what, what do you do? You start to mentally just say, well, can't find anybody with that, so I'll get rid of that, and I can't find anybody with that. And, and what are you doing? You, you, you end up settling in your life. At, at some point in time, you've you got to say, I, I've got to do what God wants me to do. And I don't want to settle any longer. I want the best life that I can possibly have. And I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what anybody else does. God will be with me, and God will help me. One of my favorite verses is Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. It says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I think some of you are discouraged today because life hasn't turned out the way you hoped that it would have because somewhere along the way, you kind of settled for a less than kind of a life. You kind of looked around and said, well, this is why everybody lives their life, but you long for something more. The Lord himself wants to go before you. And he will be with you. He'll take you by the hand. He will lead you one step at a time to the life that you desire deep inside your heart and soul to go after. The third point that I got to make is we got to do what God's called us to do. We got to do what God's called us to do. If God's placed a dream in your life about should be and what could be, then you got to go after that dream and you got to fight for it. You got to fight for your marriage. You got to fight for that dream. You got to fight. You've got to fight against that sin. Compare the size of your God to the size of what you're facing. Your God can handle it. Is there anything our God cannot do? 
So, so, so Saul says, listen, you're just a boy. You can't fight him. He says, listen, David says, I fought the, the, the lions and the tigers and the bears. Oh, my. I can take on this uncircumcised Philistine, for the battle belongs to the Lord. And Saul tries to give David his armor. And David's like, I don't need this stuff. All I need is my slingshot. All I need are a few rocks. And all I need is the power and the presence of God. And the Bible says that David ran out onto the battlefield. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't intimidated because the battle belongs to the Lord. So he runs out to face the giant, believing that God's going to do something significant. And this giant was scary. Over nine feet tall. He he had a, a suit of armor that weighed over 200 pounds. He had a javelin, and on the point of the iron tip was 25-pound iron tip. And he had a shield-bearer that went out before him. And in the Hebrew, the word for shield-bearer, this is an adult-sized, six-foot-tall shield that he's got coming in front of him towards David. You think that's not intimidating? And when Goliath sees David coming his direction, look at what he says. It says, meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistines cursed David by his gods. Look at David's response. Come here. Come here. I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of this field. David said to the Philistines, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's. And he'll give all of you into our hands. Who's the battle belong to? The battle is the Lord's. And I said it last week and I'm going to say it again. Your life is the Lord's. And your hopes They're the Lord's. Your dreams, they're the Lord's. Your future is the Lord's. Your marriage is the Lord's. Your singleness is the Lord's. Your sin is the Lord's. I remember when I was a kid, the preacher that we uh, grew up in, he was boring. And uh, I would sit in the back and he'd talk about this, that. And I didn't listen to anything I had to say. I would always open my Bible up and I'd read 1 Samuel 16 and 17. And by the time I got done reading 1 Samuel 16 and 17, he was pretty much done at that point. I love this story as a kid. Because here you are, you got your whole world in front of you. You got all these dreams and all these hopes of what could be and what should be and what you believe God wants to be in your life. But you have all these people that tell you that you're less than, that you'll never amount to anything, that you're never going to rise above it all. And it comes in so many different ways. We take so many hits. And yet here's a guy who just wouldn't listen to anybody else except the Lord. And he pushed through it. The limitations his dad had on him, the limitations of his brothers, the limitations that the king had, he believed that God went before him and that God would take care of him. And I just got to ask you something. Do you believe that? 
Because the same God who ran out in the battlefield with David is the same God that wants to run out into the battlefield of your life as well. And he wants you to see something significant with your life. He wants you to believe him for something significant in your life. You face an adversity, you are not alone. The Lord our God is with us. The battle belongs to the Lord. So stop looking at your problems as your pitfalls and look at them as possibilities of what God can do. And stop looking at the obstacles that are before you to give you some excuse to be less than. And you see those obstacles as opportunities for God Almighty to come through for you in ways you never dreamed or imagined because your life is the Lord's and the battle belongs to him. So don't settle. No matter what anybody else says or anybody else does, you fix your eyes on Jesus and you live your life for an audience of one. And when you get to the end of your life and the end of your race, at least you can look back with no regret. Because you ran the race with everything you had for the King of Kings and for the Lord of Lords. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, give us that kind of perseverance to never give up, to never quit. And Lord, I just think that there's some people here today and people watching at home and that's where they're at. They just want to give up. They want to quit. Life has not turned out the way they hoped. Their dreams have not come true. They've settled along the way. Lord, put your arms around them. You say in your word that even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in you, you'll renew their strength. You'll renew their strength. God, I pray that you would renew our strength, that we would get back up again, and we would look at any area of our life where we've limited ourselves, where we've listened, we've listened to the cheap seats making us less than. God, tune our ears to you, to your voice. Help us to see what you see. Help us to accomplish the things that you've set forth for us to accomplish. And Lord, when fear rises its ugly head, please whisper in our ears that everything is going to be all right because you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. Give us the strength and the courage to run out to that battlefield knowing that the battle belongs to you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.